0: Welcome back. I'm Jared Johnson from Shift Forward Health, and here's what's going to go down today. We have the flavor of the Week about Amazon CEO Andy Jassy's healthcare letter. What does his vision include, and how can our organization's visions better align for the benefit of consumers and society? I'll talk about that. Then we welcome Lila Wagoner to continue our theme of building up the consumer muscles within healthcare organizations. Consumer transformation can feel daunting because it requires so much culture change, and Lila shares how we can accelerate consumer-first innovation no matter what role we play. It's time to dive right in. Are you ready? Let's go. Flavor of the week. We've needed a vision, and Amazon was more than happy to give us one. On February 23rd, the day that the One Medical Acquisition received final approval, a letter from CEO Andy Jassy appeared on the feeds of Amazon users everywhere, sharing their vision for an improved consumer health experience. I'm surprised I haven't heard more people talk about what I now refer to as the Jassy letter. Here's the first paragraph. Dear customers, today getting great healthcare is often too difficult and inconvenient. Typically, you have to find a doctor, make an appointment a few weeks in advance, and drive 15 to 20 minutes or longer to the doctor's office. When you get there, you wait in the reception area for a while, get called by a nurse into an exam room, wait another 10 to 15 minutes or so, and eventually see a doctor for only a few minutes who often then prescribes a medication. Finally, you drive 20 minutes or more to the pharmacy and wait for the medications to be ready, all while you or a loved one you're caring for aren't feeling well. It's a lot of work, and let's face it, the system isn't working for customers or clinicians. He then goes on to describe how their suite of healthcare services, Amazon Pharmacy, RxPass, Amazon Clinic, and of course now One Medical, all work together to provide a different type of experience. I think some of us who are insulated in the industry might feel like any of these statements on their own aren't exactly groundbreaking, but by combining them into a single paragraph, what it does is give a vision to consumers, customers, everyday people in other words, for the reasons that Amazon is investing billions into healthcare. Near the end of the letter, Jassy says we're just at the beginning of what's possible. He said customers tell us that there's a need to radically improve the healthcare experience and we think we can help. Wow, I mean seriously, that is a call to action. This is a galvanizing shout to everyone who can hear their voice. Now if we can just overcome the organizational inertia of the industry and look at what's necessary to survive and thrive in the future as opposed to what got us here in the past. We have to remember the bigger definition here. Consumer experience is everything that affects your health choices and behaviors. It isn't just what happens when you're in clinic. It's for that very reason that I focus on things that happen outside of the hospital walls. And that's why the Jassy letter is important because it creates a very specific vision of where they are focusing their time and dollars. Amazon wasn't sharing that vision 10 years ago. Nobody was publicly at least, and they certainly weren't popping it up on the feeds of millions of retail customers. I wonder how many traditional sick care organizations have published a vision for their destination. Do they just want to preserve their clinical care services? Do they want to expand their offerings to provide true whole person care in ways that can benefit their bottom line? as well as society as a whole? Most weeks on this show, we ask guests where they hope the short-term destination is, where they hope that all of these efforts to provide a better consumer experience will get us. That's a question for each of us to reflect on, and our visions don't even have to fully align. I recognize that, but is there enough overlap that we can have a more centralized conversation with aligned incentives and goals that can get us to a better place faster? Or does each specialty and type of organization want to keep trying to solve the same problems from their own silos? My job here is to help you see the pattern, and the pattern of this disruption shown by the Jassy letter is to first, create a vision, second, publish that vision, and third, invest in that vision. So whether you're in a digital health startup, a traditional sick care organization, a disruptive primary care or virtual care organization or whatever, this pattern will expedite your efforts to see things from the consumer's standpoint and the benefits to your bottom line as well as to the community. Now is the time for us to collectively create a vision of what a better consumer experience looks like and how we'll get there. That's another way that we'll build the healthcare of tomorrow. And that's the flavor of the week. The flow, the flow, the flow. All right, everyone, let's get into the flow again. Give it up for Lila Wagner. A lot of you know Lila, and I'm so excited to have her on here. Lila is the Vice President of Strategic Partnerships at Core Creative. Welcome to the Healthcare Wrap, Lila.
1: Thank you so much, Jared. I'm really excited to be uh, on the podcast. I've been a big fan and listened to a lot of episodes, and now I actually get to be here on with you.
0: Absolutely, there are those who it's worth every amount of effort it takes to get people on here because we just value the conversations that people have. And I'm so glad we're able to sync up here and get this get this on the books because there's a lot that you've been able to share at conferences and share with clients is about consumer-driven innovation, what that even means. We're going to dig into all that. But let me back up a little bit and, and ask, what did I miss in your bio? What else would you like our listeners to know about you and your background?
1: Yeah, sure. So I have been in this business for, your listeners can't see my silver hair, but I've been doing this for quite a long time. I have about 30 years of agency experience, both on the B2B and the B2C side. Almost all of that involved some sort of healthcare client. And that's, you know, the full gamut from community hospitals to very large health systems, academic medical centers, but also managed care organizations, health plans, medical devices. So really have had an opportunity to see uh, healthcare care from all kind of different angles. And then I've also had a number of different client side marketing roles, which really has given me an opportunity to know what the folks who were working with are facing day to day, the full range of challenges that they face in marketing, in strategy in communications. And so that's been a really nice piece of my experience that I bring to my current role, which at CORE, I focus particularly on the healthcare market. Uh, CORE Health is the specialized healthcare marketing practice within CORE Creative. And my role is really to share our expertise and work on finding right fit partners and whether that's collaborators that we work with for clients, but also finding right fit clients that can benefit from our experience. And I guess beyond that, I have uh, three adult kids, I have two adorable grandkids, and I have three very mischievous grandpuppies. So there's me in a nutshell.
0: Love it. I'm curious if there's a piece of career advice along the way that you've received that sticks with you, just something that you're like, oh yeah, like that was something that was really useful. Anything come to mind?
1: I've received a lot of career advice, not all of it good. (laughs) But probably what I would consider the best piece of career advice didn't necessarily come as a career uh, conversation. Um, It's probably a quote that many people have heard just in day-to-day life and on the internet. And it's from Viktor Frankl that says, between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and our freedom. And that can kind of be summarized by a phrase that my husband liked to use with our kids as we were raising them. And it was pause for poise. And the idea of just taking a second, taking a minute so that we're not always in reactive mode, but to really stop and consider what should we do next? How do we respond as opposed to just reacting? And I found that to be a really useful piece of advice for myself because I tend to be kind of a reactive person sometimes, kind of emotional, passionate for sure. But also, great advice to give our clients who are often faced with challenges and they just want to jump in and react to a competitive situation or react to now, you know, disruptors are certainly part of what you and I have been talking about for quite a long time. But just pausing to really consider what are the issues can be really valuable.
0: Well, I feel like that could be a whole series or podcast all on its own pause for poise. Kind of love that. So might be stealing that, but I will give full credit.
1: (laughs) Go for it. Go for it. (laughs) It's all good.
0: Well, that's great. Well, Lila, one of the things I I did want to speak with you about today just has to do with kind of where we are as an industry, especially with traditional healthcare organizations, hospitals and health systems, for instance, where they're where they're doing well, where we've made some progress, and then where we still have some work to do. And I'm learning that there's more than one term for it. The term I'm using lately it just has to do with consumer-centered design or consumer-centered innovation, consumer-first innovation, innovating something about a care model or the marketing of it or an experience within it that is different because it's designed around consumers' needs. Maybe you can give us, just from your standpoint, when it comes to this type of consumer innovation... What do you think healthcare organizations are doing well right now? What kind of progress have we made? And and where are we still struggling?
1: You know, this is such an interesting question when we think over the long term, right? A, A lot of us have been focused, certainly the last five years, the last three years in particular, have just been so full of change and so full of pressure to really respond to the demands that are coming on healthcare organizations from you know consumerism we use that phrase a lot but if i think about it over the course of my career you know health systems are among the slower ones to change and adapt we all did kind of the same things in different degrees for many 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 years and a lot of discussion happens around these topics but it's been kind of a oh yeah let's kick that can down the road or let's think about this differently and as i think about why that is i think some of it Is how health systems were formed, right? There are a lot of independent organizations that came together. You know, not very many health systems were started as health systems. They were started as individual organizations with their own structures, with their own cultures, with their own ways of doing things. And then they sort of have come together and found ways to adapt and to streamline and to be more efficient and to leverage strengths and think about things differently. But along the way, there's a lot of internal silos. And I think there's a lot of challenges in terms of alignment of goals and how do we measure success. So, you know, when I started in healthcare 30 plus years ago, it was very much a physician-centered mentality. It was all about how do we serve the physician. And certainly health systems have evolved from that did quite a long evolution from that to patient-centered, right? We heard a lot about patient-centered design, patient-centered thinking. And now we're seeing that move one more step, right? To consumers. I think the past three years in particular have shown this very bright light on the need to think beyond just patients and providers to who else needs to be part of the conversation. And so This is complex, right? This is one of the most complex industries on the face of the planet. But things like a shift from fee-for-service to outcome-based thinking and from an individual treatment being treated to thinking about the health of a population as a whole, I think that's part of what has made us realize, oh, we need to think not just about the people who come through our door as a patient, but to consumers. And so I think you know, lots of organizations are tackling this. Almost all organizations are tackling this, but their ability to do so successfully really depends, I think, on thinking about how their incentives are aligned or not aligned, right? And how we deliver care tends to be how we're compensated for care. And we measure, <laughs> we do what gets measured, right? So if we're thinking about the things that are getting measured, are those focused on the consumer and their experience or not? And I think that's a, that's an evolution that is really, we're still at the tip of that. I think we're at the front end of that. And organizations are really just starting to figure out how to understand it to begin with, let alone how to tackle it. So I see the leaders in this space as really listening more to consumers, really paying attention to what can be learned from other industries. I see leaders hiring those folks who are tuned in to Consumer Insights, sometimes from outside healthcare, outside the traditional kind of, once you get into healthcare, you stay into healthcare forever. And, you know, we only promote from within. I, I'm seeing a lot of leaders coming from retail, from tech, and we're trying to learn, I think, a little bit faster.
0: Stay tuned for more provocative thinking after the break. consumer demands, disruptive technologies, and AI are shaping healthcare for years to come. On the Hello Healthcare podcast, we dive deep on these issues with leaders who are driving change. These stories will inspire you to create and demand a better future in healthcare. Learn more at hellohealthcare.com. And now back to the show. Yeah, I've seen that too. And I feel like it's An exercise of unpeeling layers. I just recently heard a a colleague describe this on another podcast where in their consulting work in the group that he's in, they would be asked to come and solve a growth problem. And they'd find out that, the growth problem actually was a value proposition problem. And then they'd find out the value proposition problem was a business systems or customer experience problem or something related to that. And then they'd keep unpeeling these layers and discover, it's actually the fact that your product or service isn't very good. (laughs) And people, there's not product market fit with it. And so... That's going to be part of the process. That's kind of the the uncomfortable part of the process, I feel like, that that so far seems to have, have to happen in one form or another in healthcare organizations.
1: I think you're 100% right. And I think that your point about really getting at what is the actual problem that is needing to be solved, and not just from our own internal point of view, right? We tend often to think about solving problems from our own point of view, but having that more human-centered design and design thinking perspective. And that's something that we're really working to employ when we think about marketing challenges. But really, from a patient experience standpoint, this is still really a challenge for people. And I think that's one of the techniques that is being brought into healthcare now, where we're thinking about from the consumer's perspective, what does this look like? And What's the actual problem that needs to get solved, like you said? I, I just think this is it's a fascinating, fascinating time.
0: It is. And it just brings out a lot of needs to be agile in our thinking, to be innovative, and to make space for that. And those things aren't necessarily in the DNA of a lot of healthcare organizations. I think you already kind of kind of shared, you know, some of the the history of that and and why that's the case. And without trying to change everything, there is this recognition now that if we want to design a better consumer experience, for instance, or create a better product or service, or have an innovative care model that does remove some of the friction from the experience, there there are marketing and branding components of every piece of that journey, of that transformation, if you will, and that isn't in our DNA. And I feel like to, to remedy that, we we start off by recognizing that there are some skills and core competencies that we should be building up as we go through that that process. So what do you think some of those skills and competencies are? Like wh- what are some of the I guess the the things that we need to be able to do in order to get better at this?
1: Yeah. I think this goes back to fundamentally thinking differently, right? About how do we solve problems? And this is where you know, I mentioned we're employing some human-centered design and design thinking models to the work that we do with our clients. That starts with really, like you said, peeling back the onion, trying to understand what's the actual problem when we ask questions of consumers. So, you know, most marketing ideally starts with discovery right we're really listening to consumers we're listening to patients we're listening to providers we're trying to understand from each of their different perspectives the challenges that they face and we're not we're doing that not just for messaging opportunities but for fundamental experience opportunities right so we now when we talk with our clients about doing focus groups or doing other kinds of qualitative research Really listening, not just for, Oh, what do we need to say? But how do we need to live our brand differently? What kinds of experience innovations can we potentially design? Or, you know, we're not, we're not in the design experience design business, but we're in the listening business. And so thinking holistically. And this is about getting the right people at the table, right? So this isn't just a marketing function. Listening to consumers needs to be a an organizational commitment to really understand what is it that they need from us? What are we uniquely positioned to deliver? And asking, using different language in our planning, right? Like, How might we? Right, like that's a very uh, human-centered design or design thinking type of a model of of trying to say how might we? First of all, frame the problem differently. How can we build consumer muscles in our healthcare organizations and think about solving problems from their point of view? And that really just starts with asking. It's not going to happen inside our four walls. We need to get out there and and. see what that experience looks like.
0: It is amazing what happens when you get the right stakeholders in the room in a listening session either listening to each other or in a workshop setting where even just understanding little parts of someone else's journey because right otherwise they're just not considered as we design an experience I mean I remember when I was client side being asked to solve what people thought were marketing problems and a lot of them we recognized were either operational problems or they were business model problems they were billing challenges there was a lot of friction they were experience challenges and I'm like there's only so much we can market and, and I admit there may have been times where I was like a little too candid about well this experience isn't very good <laughs> like what can we do let's do that before we try to get more people into a really bad experience and let's you know let's let's see the growth opportunity the growth mindset associated with that and that to me all comes back to when you mentioned consumer muscles that is something we have to build up and you mentioned listening and design thinking and human centered design. You know, related disciplines. And then you mentioned kind of the culture piece of it too, because I think that's what a lot of it comes down to or even starts with. And there are some small wins that can happen along the way in some of the sessions and workshops, environments that that you described. What other things come to mind in terms of building up those muscles and getting some of those quick wins just to get some momentum for these types of efforts?
1: Yeah, and and I think it can be a little intimidating. And so if people don't feel like they know how to do it, they maybe shy away from it, when in fact, it could be just getting a different perspective on, you know, data that you might already have, right? And so this is thinking about how, who's looking at the research, who's analyzing it, bringing different people around the table, whether that's internal teams, or external counselors, or advisors, partners who can help you think through the challenges that you're facing in a different way and be willing to kind of think differently about the challenges at hand. So one of the things that we always do is start with, like I said, start with research, whether that's existing research and really looking at the data that exists or doing some new market research, whether that's quantitative studies or focus groups, or lately we've been working with a partner, Dean Browell of Feedback, who does digital ethnography and really listening to kind of the conversations that are out there. So thinking about the work that you're already doing, but analyzing the data from a different point of view, I think that could be a really interesting way of starting down this path of just having a different perspective to the work that that is already being done. If we do, you know, annual brand awareness studies, for example, what kind of other questions can be being asked? If you're going out into the field anyway, and measuring certain metrics, are we asking the right questions? Are we asking them in a way that allows people to express something other than on a scale of 1 to 5 you know are we giving people an opportunity to to have a voice about the experience looking at patient satisfaction data differently you know often this is one of those silos we talk about the patient experience often the ownership for that lives completely separate from marketing i think that's changing i think there's much more conversation happening now between organizations but you know, a lot of times that'll live in nursing, or that'll live in in a department called patient experience. And there's press gainy data. There's it's full of hints, right, and of pain points, and of perspectives that could be thought through differently. So I don't. It doesn't have to be brand new investments necessarily. It can be just different perspectives that are brought to the table. The other piece of this that we haven't really talked about, Jared, but that we see is just really critical, and and we're sort of talking about it, but we're not addressing it directly, is that that living of the brand. So we, we have a phrase that we say, say it, live it. So don't be out there talking about something if you're not prepared as an organization to actually deliver on the experience. But that means our team, right? That means our frontline staff. That means getting everybody inside the organization, understanding what that brand promise is all about, and what does that mean in terms of how they deliver care every day or how they engage with consumers every day? You know, so thinking that through when you're doing any sort of brand work or messaging to be really also asking the question, who else needs to know this and how will they do their job differently and engaging them in in coming up with those activities, those behaviors, if you will, so that it doesn't become something that's imposed, but something that's really organic and embraced by the organization.
0: Yeah, those parts are really important. Like you said, that you have to find ways to continue getting traction and build the momentum, or else a lot of this just stays as a poster on the wall, a, a journey map or a qualitative data report. Yeah, it just stays sitting on someone's desk instead of being incorporated into the culture that's spot on in terms of how. Important that is. I feel like some of a lot of things we've just talked about. These are being tasked to people in different departments, people with different titles, people different seniority levels. It reminds me of the early days of digital transformation and, and, and digital marketing and digital health, even where that wasn't a department, it wasn't a team for most organizations. There was a person who was kind of like the, all right, go figure that out for us person. <laughs> and that person had to continually build a business case while getting better at the thing and understanding it. And it was new and it was changing a lot. That's right now where I feel a consumer-first transformation is. Consumer-centered innovations, these muscles we're talking about building up. And professionals involved in it seem to have like all these different titles and and I'm wondering how how do we coalesce that like how can we build up this community of professionals who are involved in this work
1: Yeah I mean that's the work that you're you've been doing right you know the consumer first mindset um, these uh, calls that we've been we've been having once a month. It's interesting to me. there are people from all different perspectives who are interested in this. And, you know, I think I don't have the the one hundred percent solution on this other than a hundred percent, we need to start by talking about it, right? And be talking about it with our colleagues, with other folks within the department, finding those, you know, champions, those folks who are really passionate about it and aligning yourself with them. So if you're in an organization that doesn't have somebody designated as, you know, the clear owner, if you will, of consumer experience, but that's something that's of interest to you, you know, we see it certainly from a marketing perspective, but finding those other champions within the organization and having those conversations is a great first step because then you start to see where are the parallels who else is working on these sorts of things? And, and then you can make a case together potentially to leadership about the opportunities that you see and potentially the paths that, that, you know, the work streams that might make sense to actually formally adopt to try to get further ahead. You know, it's so different in different organizations, for sure. But I think that's, you know, it all starts with having the conversation, which you're just so great at uh, at enabling. So and encouraging. So appreciate you.
0: I always love starting with the conversation. that's and that's one part of having the podcast here too which is just my excuse to connect with with awesome people like yourself and with that uh, that's gonna be a wrap for this episode i've had the pleasure of speaking with lila wagner from core creative thanks so much for joining us today thank you so much jerry Thanks again.